You are listening to a Cold Lake Community Church podcast. We hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect. Well, this week we'll be looking at the second week of Advent, which for us today is, is going to be love. And I don't know what uh, church tradition you came from, if, if any. Um, I didn't grow up in the church, and so um, I never experienced really Advent until just the last couple of years. And it's, it's something of old that um, my wife and I have been making new for our family, that we've been drawing uh, meaning and significance out of and, and uh, finding value in. You know, this week... Um, is love, and it's represented by a, a pink candle. And um, the other candles, the other three candles, are purple. And and purple is a regal color. It's a color that is that symbolizes kingship. And as we just sung about adoring Christ as King, that He is the King of Kings. That He is Christ the King, and so three stand for for the kingship. But also, I'm here. The pink candle. Is differentiated. He is, he is the love of God that came from on high to us in the form of a baby who we know grew in wisdom and knowledge and stature before God and men and ultimately led to um, becoming our Savior. He came for a purpose to save the world from sin and darkness. And the Christmas story is a love story. It's the story of God's love to the world. That God so loved the world that he gave his son. You know, the English language is very sloppy when it comes to the word love. Um, we love all sorts of things. We love our dogs. We love, we love hamburgers. Some of us love or, or not love Christmas cake, fruit cake, actually, Re and I, my whole life, I thought that I did not like fruitcake. And maybe it's because the fruitcake that I always ate was really hard. It was so hard, it was like a brick you could throw it through a window. Um, but Re and I went to a craft fair a couple weeks ago, and there was a lady who had a sample of fruitcake. And she was like, it's the best fruitcake you've ever eaten. And I was like, no, thanks. I don't like fruitcake. And she said, you will once you try it. And so I was like, oh, being suckered in. I went, I took the sample. I'm like, I really don't think I'm going to like it. And she's like, just try it. And so I, I tried it, and I was like, this is delicious. I said, this is fruitcake? She's like, it's my fruitcake, yes. And she's like, would you like to buy some? And I'm like, yes. So I'm by myself in a moment, a moment of weakness and go and, and buy this fruitcake in a little clear bag. And I go meet up with Rhea a few moments later. And it's like, What's, did you buy fruitcake? <laughs> I'm like, yes, I did buy fruitcake. It's delicious, but we won't know until Christmas because I'm going to keep it wrapped and take it to Calgary with us. And hopefully it tastes as good and as fresh as the one that I ate. Hopefully it wasn't a deception, like, you know. But I, I will fill you all in when we get back from Christmas holidays. But love in our language, you know, we have this one sweeping word that we use for all sorts of things. It's so unspecific. It's so overused in some cases, you know, where 
You know, bum, 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 bum. I'm loving it. You know, like we use it for so many things that sometimes it loses its value and significance. But in the Greek of, of the language that the New Testament is written in, you know, there are multiple forms of love that these different words had a completely different connotation. They meant something different. There were different forms of love. There was the, the type of love that the two lovers, a husband and wife, would have with one another. There's the type of love that's like kinship between two friends. You know, and a, and a form of love that the Bible talks about a lot is a word called agape. And uh, this is the word love that is very different from what the world considers love to be. You know, often when we talk about things that are, are, are love, we're talking about a sentimental feeling, often something that's very temporary and seems to pass by quickly. But the type of love, the agape love that the Bible talks about is not this type of fleeting love. It's a love that's connected to the very nature and essence of who God is. And when the Bible says that God is love, it's not often the love that we understand from the world. You know, agape is, is the love regarding God's love for us, for mankind, and also the way that we love God in return. You know, in 1 John 4, 7-8, it says, Let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who is born of God and knows God, the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. He who does not love does not know God. That's how vital love is to God's nature, to his character. How important it is that we embody his love. That we live it out. You know, here at CLCC, our mission is to share God's love everywhere. And we know that the result ultimately is it leads people to Jesus when we do so. Agape love is so much more than a feeling. But my hope is that when you hear the word love at Coley Community Church, that you'll view it as an action word, a word that has meaning and significance and value beyond a superficial feeling. You know, but it's an extension of what it means to follow Jesus, to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. You know, agape love is as the Bible describes it, not something that is natural to our humanity. You know, we have an ability to love. You know, I, I loved things growing up. I loved my mom and dad. I loved my siblings. I loved Skittles, especially the red ones. I don't know why, because it was Smarties, the red ones you were supposed to eat last, but I ate the red Skittles last too. I don't know about you. But, you know, we have an ability to love in our fallen state. But the problem is agape love is an extension of God, his essence, his being. So the type of love that we experience outside of the love of God, outside of the love of Christ, is simply like a shadow of the real thing. It's there, we can feel its effects. We know love when we see it. But the fullness of love comes through the person of Jesus Christ. The fullness of what love means was demonstrated through the cross 2,000 years ago.
you know, as Christians, we have the ability to sense the love of God, to understand the love of God, to, to read and study about the love of God. And what's so hard for me, I was just saying this to my wife this morning, is that love is one of those things that's hard to put words to, isn't it? It's hard to explain. Like, sometimes I wish I was, like, just this amazing poet that could take what I'm feeling inside and express it in words. And so often for me, you know, the expression of love, whether it's a love for God or a love for, for, for Rhea or my family, often the way that I connect with it, because I don't have the words for it, is through music, is through worship. And um, someone else has, has penned the words or they've taken words that are an extension from Scripture and they've applied it into a song and it just connects with my soul and my spirit when I sing it. You know, but agape love, it's the essence of God that we receive when we, and experience when we begin a journey with Jesus and choose to be a follower of Jesus and we have that Holy Spirit begin to come and dwell within us. You know, agape love is not simply good intentions or good sentiments towards other people. You know, the Bible talks that we should love our neighbor. And in fact, it goes beyond that. It says that we should love our enemy. But it's interesting. I wonder if we struggle with the first part of just even loving our neighbor, how apt we're going to be to love our enemy. You know, love is such a key part of the Christian experience, ex experiencing God's love, but then extending it to others. That God's love flowing through us to the world through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. You know, love is demonstrated through action. And we know this because we have the ministry of Jesus that puts into uh, expression what God's love means like means in this world today. So what does it mean to love? What does it mean to love as God loves? Well, we see it shown when Jesus was moved with compassion, reached out his hands to heal the sick. We see God's love moving when he preached the truth and declared the gospel and brought hope to hopeless people, brought light to people who are shrouded in darkness and living in darkness. God's love was manifest when he fed the 5,000 people with just a few loaves and fish. And when he taught about the realities of God, it was extending the capacity of the human heart to be able to contend with the love of God. And when the love of God was shown through Jesus, through in his humility when he took off his clothes and girded himself with a cloth and knelt down to wash his disciples' feet at the Last Supper. The very supper that he would then soon after be arrested by the Roman authorities, tried and tortured and, and crucified for the sins of the world. The love of God was demonstrated on the cross when Jesus asked the Father to forgive the perpetrators for they did not know what they were doing. Agape is saturated with God's love and his compassion, his mercy, and what the Bible demonstrates and calls 
grace, which is an unmerited favor. It's God choosing to apply grace to you even though we don't deserve it. Even though you did nothing to earn it. God doing it because he loves you. And that's what he did. That's what he did on the cross. And the Advent story of love is significant because without Jesus coming this way, coming as a little babe, as they say, we wouldn't have had Jesus of, of 33 on the cross. This was the precursor. This is where love came into the world. And so I actually forgot to do it, but I'm going to light the candles now. But the first one that we talked about last week was hope. We talked about how Advent is simply a word that means coming, the coming of the Lord, Adventus Domini in the Latin. And it simply means this awaiting the coming of God. And we know that Jesus came one time, but that he's coming again. And that there's going to be a fulfillment of all God's promises through the second coming. And today we are in that space between his first coming and when he's coming again in that season of waiting. And that season of hope, of anticipation, of the fulfillment of all God's promises and all things. And um, the pink candle is love. It's the candle that represents his love to us and to the world. You know, there's nothing quite like encountering the love of God. You know, the first time I, I can remember tangibly experiencing the love of God I've told this story many times before, but I was 14 and I went to a church and I encountered the Holy Spirit in a really unique way. And in that moment, it was like, I didn't even know what was happening to me. Literally, I thought I might be having a medical episode of some sort because all of a sudden I came in feeling just so broken and burdened. And all of a sudden it just, everything in me, it was just like, was relaxed. And I just felt this supernatural peace come over me. And this sense that, that, that now I call love, I didn't know what it was at the time. It literally felt like warm goo being dumped on my head and just dripping off my body. But despite all those things that I came to that church with that day, you know, in that moment, it was like it all just melted away. Every care, every concern that... I just felt loved and, and in complete peace in that moment. And it rocked my life. It transformed my life forever because after that encounter, I knew that there was something more than what I'd been experiencing in life. That what I, the beliefs that I'd had was a very incomplete picture of what it means to live a life of meaning and significance in this world. And I really did not know what this life was about, why I was here. But that encounter with the Holy Spirit led me to seek him and seek the truth, to seek out whether this God of the Bible was the real thing or not. And thank God that he brought me to that place that I could understand who he was, that he, I realized that the God of the Bible is the real thing, that his love was extended to me as it was to you. And I had the opportunity to receive that gift of grace and salvation, which I now, now have. You know, the first time I encountered the supernatural love of God, you know, I literally 
looking back on it, it was like my life, I was like Humpty Dumpty. It was like everything had fallen apart, it felt like. You know, my emotional life was in you know, shambles. My school life wasn't well. My family life, parents were splitting up. Everything at home was just in disarray. It felt like I'd fallen and the king's men couldn't put me back together again. And one moment, one encounter with God, it was like a restoration in my heart, in my spirit. It was just like, what is going on? I've never felt like this before. You know, when I first came to Jesus, I don't know if this was your experience, that you're trying to sort out what in your life is the God part of your life and what is the rest of your life? And how do you connect this new spiritual reality to everything else? And, and you know, like, sometimes we try to segment our life, and decompartmentalize our life, and we have our God part of our life and our spiritual life, and then we have the rest of our life, our, our school, our work, our home life. And sometimes we work really hard somehow to separate that which is sacred from that which is secular. But the truth is when you encounter the King of Kings and his Holy Spirit comes into you, it's impossible to separate this, what is sacred from secular because the Holy Spirit lives in you. You now are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Where you go, God goes. There's nowhere you can go where you can escape the love of Christ. And that's why we can go to the far corners of the earth, to the darkest places, preaching the gospel, declaring the truth of God's word, knowing that we will be a light in the darkness because of the Holy Spirit that is in us. That just as he was sent as the light of the world, so we are a light to the world, to everywhere that he sends us, everywhere that we go. You know, we try to separate our, our, sometimes the sacred from the secular, but it can't happen. You know, I love um, this clip that I saw of Kanye West. I don't know if you know who Kanye West is. Well, he's kind of on a bit of a spiritual renewal in his own life, if you've seen anything. His latest album, he, came, he, he apparently met Jesus, came to Jesus, had a radical transformation. And the first thing that he did was start hosting these worship gatherings on Sundays and they do these worship trains where they bring in musicians and they they go all over his property and they travel around and they it's just all about worshiping God and then he brings in in preachers and they come and they and they speak and I and I watched online one of one of these um, one of his events I was just amazed at how pointed the speaker was he's not bringing in somebody that's talking about this sentimental you know, love message, not the one that I'm giving today, but you know what I mean? Like, he is preaching the truth. He's preaching a hard message, the, tr the gospel. And I was just like, wow, this is amazing. And, and not too long ago, he was, um, he was on Jimmy Kimmel. So here's Kanye West on Jimmy Kimmel, and, and Jimmy's interviewing him, trying to figure out, like, what's going on in his life. And, and so Jimmy asked him the question. He says, so previously you were kind of a rap, R&B artist. Now you're, you know, into all this religious Jesus stuff. So do you now consider yourself a Christian artist? And without skipping a beat, Kanye says, I'm not a Christian artist. I'm a Christian everything. I'm a Christian everything. That he wasn't declaring that his music was, sac was somehow this sacred part of his worship to God and the rest of his life wasn't. That statement that I'm a Christian everything just hit home with me. 
And you know what? There's a lot of Christian people that are really questioning the whole Kanye West experience. You know, you can go online and watch hundreds of videos of people down on Kanye West. But you know what? At the end of the day, there will be fruit drawn out of his ministry or not. It'll be sustained or it won't. But if anything, I'm praying for Kanye because he has a reach with a whole generation of people. They're some of the most unlikelies to be sitting in a room like this on a Sunday morning. And God works in mysterious ways. And, and if God can take someone like Kanye West, can take the Kardashians, the Kardashians, and breathe life into some of their family members and, and spark a revival in the Kardashians, man, I can't wait till that show comes out. I don't know what it'll be called, but it'll be good. It'll be good. But his album, Jesus is King, I guess wherever they sell records these days. No. You know, there's no such thing as a Christian as the spiritual and the unspiritual activities of our lives. They're intertwined. You know, the Bible talks about that everything we do, we do for the glory of God. Everything we do, it's not just when we come to church. It's not just when we're involved in spiritual activity that we are worshiping God. There's an extension of our spiritual activity, but everything we do, when we go to work, we are called to do it to the best of our ability. To the best of our ability. When we do a good deed, we help the poor, we feed the hungry, we give a word of encouragement to somebody. The Bible says that it is as if we are doing it on to God himself. It's an amazing thing. You know, when we receive the love of God in our life, I believe what happens is it begins to tear down a former life. The life that was built on the shadow of love that said that doing good works can please God that we earn our, our approval from people and from God by, by doing good things. You know, it's amazing that God loves us. The Bible says that God loves us, but yet while we were still sinners, and he came and died for us, we had done nothing yet to deserve or to earn the salvation that he was bringing, we just had to receive it. We just had to accept it and to choose to follow him and follow in the way, the way that leads to salvation, the only way through the Son, Jesus Christ. You know, the old foundations of our former life are rooted often in selfish ambition and self-love. But God wants to change that and replace it with his agape love, with a love primarily for God, by extension for those around us, for our neighbor. And like we already said, not only just for our neighbor, but also for our enemy. It very well may live next door, I don't know. There's some crazy feuds that happen between neighbors sometimes. But you know, today we live in a culture that is so focused on self-reliance and self-sufficiency. Have you noticed that? You know, I think a lot of it comes from, from maybe some of the whole American dream, the independence, the, you know, we focus a lot on individual rights. You know, we focus a lot less on the privileges 
of, of what it means how we live that out and, and the responsibility that comes along with the privilege of having, living in a free society and having these rights. But you know what? So often we believe in Western culture that all the answers to life's problems can be solved by good self-will and determination. Have you noticed this? I mean, you've noticed in your own lives that, you know, our culture believes that we can change everything. It's if only we could elect in the right government, then everything would be fixed. If only we just had that better job. If only we had the bigger paycheck, all my problems would just melt away. You know, we've been conditioned to think that we can save ourselves. That all we just need is the right strategy, the right implementation of that strategy, and we'll be okay. That we can do it on our own. But what I love about Advance is it reminds us that we can't save ourselves. It reminds us that we are desperately in need of a savior. Because the greatest impediment that plagues humanity is sin. It's slavery to ingrained habits of sin. Isaiah 57, 20 says, The wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot rest, and his waters toss up mire and dirt. Richard Foster, in his book Celebration of Discipline, wrote, The sea does not need anything special to produce mire and dirt because it's the result of its natural motions. This is also true of us when we are under the condition of sin. The natural motions of our lives produce mire and dirt. Sin is a part of the internal structure of our lives. No special effort is required to produce it. You notice how, it, how it's not very difficult to sin when we begin to give in to, our, to that sin nature, give in to temptation? You know, often in life, the things that are, are worthy of our attention, the things that we should be doing, feel sometimes like an uphill battle. And the things that we shouldn't do, the things that, are, that the enemy is trying to get us to do, it's like you, you just give in a little bit, and all of a sudden down, it's like a slip and slide, and all of a sudden you're way down there. And you just gave a little bit. You know, you give an inch, and, and the enemy will take you a mile. That's what sin does in our life. You know, almost all of us, I'm sure, have an experience of how sin has held you captive, but how a habit, how an ingrained habit, maybe how, how a hurt, a hang-up, bitterness in your heart, how it's held you back from living the life that God wants you to live. You know, there's something that I think is really noteworthy about 12-step recovery programs. That there are programs now for all sorts of things. For, for addictions um, to drugs and substances, to food, to, um, to hurts and overcoming hangups in our life that we may have and all sorts of strongholds. You know, but what's common to almost all is that they can compel you to come to terms with your helplessness. You know, they require you to turn your life over to a higher power because you don't have the ability to do it yourself. Because we can't save ourselves. You know that you're an addictive pattern and you can't lift yourself out of it. You're in a way living life without Christ 
and remaining in our sin is like that addictive pattern that you can't lift yourself out of. It's an addictive pattern that you can't lift yourself out of. Because when you live in darkness, you love the darkness. It's all you know. And when you see the light, it hurts. I don't know if you've ever, you know, been driving at night and somebody goes and turns on a light and all of a sudden it's so bright it hurts your eyes, you feel like your retina's about to burn, you're telling them to turn it off. When you live in the darkness and your eyes are not accustomed to the light, it hurts. It can be painful. Which is sometimes why people respond the way they do when you come with love and truth. That sometimes they're not ready to receive it. And the truth hurts. But, but God came in love. Came and died so that we could overcome all sin. So that we could walk in freedom. So that we no longer have to be Humpty Dumpty. God may send his men and women to the hurting and to the broken, which is you and me. But ultimately, it's God that puts people back together again. It's his Holy Spirit. It's the healing of the Holy Spirit that, that mends a human heart. It's the, it's the supernatural love of God that flows out of us by the power of the Holy Spirit that will speak to a person. And we are simply just the vessels you know, there's a popular Christmas carol that illustrates this point of, of, of helplessness on our own. The fact that we need a savior. You know, it's a, it's a song that's, that's based on the O Great Antiphons, as they're called. And if you came from a Catholic background, you'd probably know them. That um, the seven days leading up to Christmas, historically, um, you know, during Vesper and different things, they would recite these great antiphons. And what's cool about these, these antiphons is that they're, they're verses that have been sung in the church for, well, for sure since the, the, 12, the 11th century, but their roots go back to the 6th century. The earliest that we know about them is that these verses existed. The church used them. They declared them. They sang them. And they were put together in the 11th and 12th century. And then in the 1800s, they were compiled and, and translated from Latin into English into the song that we now know as O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And um, I've known this song since I was a child. You know, I, I didn't go to church. I didn't have a Christian upbringing, but this song was somehow still part of the culture enough that I recognized it, and I knew some of the words. And I was just amazed to learn about how ancient of a song this song really was. And the fact that we still sing it today is amazing to me. But in each of these great antiphons, it has um, an aspect, a prophetic name ascribed to Jesus, something that he was to do. And um, my wife was reminding me of uh, a podcast that we listened to, a guy talking about the, the oh, great antiphons and how there was a, a man who got saved and he began to reflect on what he would need if he didn't know about Jesus, what things in his life would he need what would he need in his life if he had never heard the name of Jesus? And, and he began to reflect on the fact that the, the, these antiphons here, that this is what he would need. And so the seven um, titles or names throughout the antiphons are one is O Wisdom, one is O Adonai, O Lord, O Key of David, 
O root of Jesse, O day spring, O king of nations, and finally, O, o Emmanuel, which means God with us. You know, and here in this, in this verse of this song, which you will probably recognize, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel, that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appears. You know, where there were seasons for Israel that were tough, tough seasons. You know, there are people, you know, I've heard stories, I remember after the Fort Mac wildfire, about people's houses burning down, and them going back and sorting through, through the rubble and finding old picture frames and things that were previously in their home and how devastating it was to see just their home in rubble and ruins. And that was a house that they lived in. But for the people of Israel to come back to Israel and see the house of the Lord, the temple destroyed, was devastating. To see the temple completely destroyed because this was the power source of the people. This was the place that God dwelled. And it had been destroyed. The very God that they'd taken into battle and been victorious time and time and time and time again. And what did it mean that God would allow the temple to be destroyed and the people of Israel sent into to exile? A profound thing, a crushing thing. But here, what stands out to me is that every single human being, until the Son of God appears to them and they receive him, is living in spiritual exile. And when I sing this song this year, I think about that. That God, how thankful I am that you, Jesus, Son of God, appeared to me. That you demonstrated your love for me, that I was able to gain the revelation, knowledge of what you did on the cross and what it means that I can walk in freedom and liberty because of what you did. O come, O come, Emmanuel, God with us. You know, and he paid our ransom. He paid it in full. It's amazing. You know, everyone is held captive to sin until the Son of God appears in your life. You know, and this is what God did when he sent his Son, born on the first Christmas. You know, 1 John 4.12 says, If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us his Holy Spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. We have come to know that and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because he, as he is, so also are we in this world. You know, we, like I said, have hope because Jesus is coming back. And we can have confidence, confidence 
that Jesus is coming back and that the life after this is better than what we're experiencing now. That God has great plans in store for us. That there's an inheritance that we are walking into. There's a shared inheritance with, with Christ. How amazing. But this holiday season, reflect on the love of Christ and what that means in your life and how that when we abide in love, we abide in him. Father God, I just thank you this morning. Lord, I thank you for your abiding presence. God, I thank you, Lord, how you made a way that even for a man like me, without any Jewish roots, could be grafted in, grafted into the family tree, to your tree. God, I thank you for the life that you give, the life that we can receive that lasts forever. Lord, I thank you for the Christmas story. God, how you're changing hearts and transforming lives through your son. And God, I pray, Lord, that, that we would have hope in this season, Lord, that if there's anyone in this room that is lacking hope, that doesn't see a light at the end of the tunnel, Lord, that they would turn to you. And Lord, that you would shower your love on them. And Lord, that they would know that you have an answer for them. God, I just pray for strength and perseverance, God, for those enduring trials today. And God, I pray, Lord, that this year when we come together as a church body for prayer and fasting, Lord, that there would be something new activated in our lives and our spirits. God, I thank you for what you're going to do in 2020. But God, may we not miss out on, on Christmas this year. May we remember, God, that it's all about you. So God, I thank you for your love. May we know it and experience it and be able to share it with everyone we meet, within our spheres of influence everywhere we go. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to a Cold Lake Community Church podcast. We hope that you've been blessed by this teaching from Cold Lake Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect.